Julie, you know, oftentimes we talk about practices that keep our clients healthy and things that our clients need to think about throughout their days, their routine, especially when it comes to brain health and everything else. But rarely do we talk about the way financial professionals need to think about themselves. And that's why I really liked hearing from Patrick McAndrew, our guest on today's podcast, because he had some really, really, I think, interesting viewpoints. I agree. And I also think that when we talk about productivity, oftentimes we talk about during the day. And what I like is that he started the night before, which was really interesting to me. So I learned so much from him for sure. Well, and just some, you know, the practical tips he gives both mentally, but also physically. And we know you and I both know, I know we've discussed it about how important rest is. But we oftentimes don't think about rest for our brains and how we detach at night uh, to get the best and fullest kind of reinvigorating sleep that we can that prepares us for the next day. So I think our listeners are really going to benefit from listening to them. I, I agree. And I think sometimes we pride ourselves on, oh, we, we can we don't need that much sleep, right? I can get by on four or five hours and I'm just fine the next day. And I think after listening to Patrick's points and thoughts, hopefully we'll all be recalibrating our own minds and saying, let's try to get a really good night of sleep and really prepare ourselves to be as fresh and at our best for the next day. So Julie, why don't you share with our viewers a little bit about Patrick McAndrew and why we asked him to be on our podcast. Patrick is the co-founder and CEO of HARA. His mission is to give people the internal skills to own their attention, energy, and focus. For the past five years, Patrick has dedicated his time to spreading knowledge of cognitive health with organizations and individuals. He has directly coached over 300 leaders to help them reclaim their attention and has worked with senior teams at Morgan Stanley, Pacific Life, Lincoln Financial, and more within the industry. So Julie, let's invite our listeners in to, to participate in the conversation that we had with Patrick McAndrew about this very topic. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Julie. We're the hosts of the Hartford Fund's Human-Centric Investing Podcast. Every other week, we're talking with inspiring thought leaders to hear their best ideas for how you can transform your relationships with your clients. Let's go. Patrick, welcome to the Human-Centric Investing Podcast. We are so excited to have you here with us today. Thanks, Julie. It's a joy to be here. So, Patrick, uh, you know, some of the most popular podcast episodes we do have to do with advisor wellness. I think that with the constant demands and no clear cutoffs now on when the workday starts and ends, uh, it seems like we're on the go all the time. But you say that that is detracting from our performance. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so my my area of interest is focus. So how do we how do we focus? And it's becoming an increasingly difficult thing in today's day and age. And at the heart of it, it's a it's a skill which we've never learned. It's something which is demanded of us every day, but it's something that nobody ever came along and suggested to us how we do this. And just for context, the the journey that brought me onto this path to explore this question was that I used to teach speed reading and memorization workshops. And I used to teach it to, I never really taught actually to advisors. I taught it to a lot of investment banks, hedge funds, some MBA programs. 
And going into all of those environments, here were extremely high performers and they were realizing that, wow, I read all the time in my role. And I learned how to read when I was three or four years of age and I never learned again, even though the complexity of the material grew and grew. And I didn't realize, but my basic skill was holding me back massively. It was like a dead weight because the skill, how we approach reading at that young age is very helpful in our youth because there's so many things which are happening in, in how we're building syntax and structure and understanding how to process information. But at some point we take a quantum leap and the information becomes much more complex and we have to synthesize between many different things. And at that stage, we need a whole new range of an approach to reading and how we actually um, integrate things into our memory. So I was helping people to make that jump into a whole new, whole other way of reading and processing. But at the same time, I was seeing that there was a fundamental foundation which had never been built. And that was helping people to understand their attention and how to actually organize their mind to focus, to move in and out of focus. And that's been my point of curiosity and exploration over the last three and a half or four years. It started out by asking the question of what is focus? And the majority of people who we work with are financial advisors and people within this industry and this space. And absolutely, I mean, I've come to see that in today's day and age, there is a constant emphasis of being very responsive and very reactive, putting the customer needs first, trying to make sure that no opportunity is missed, that you're aware of everything all of the time. And like everything in life, there's an opportunity cost to that. So maybe I'm trying to show what's weighted on the other side if you only lean into this one side of how you live your life. I think it's so true, and especially for financial professionals where where does the day end, right? Our teams, our clients, they can call us, email us, you know, get get a hold of us on our devices. You know, it's the the information is constantly coming at us morning, noon, and night, evenings, weekends. And and how do you draw that line between what does the workday engagement look like versus then the evening. And I think that, you know, in the coaching and the conversations that I have, and I'm sure that John is having with financial professionals, they've never shared more often than now that, you know, they're, they're tired. Um, and I'm sure that this constant engagement has a lot to do with that, right? These days are long and, and it's, how do you draw that line? So I'd be really curious to know for our audience, Patrick, where does this journey really begin? How do you guide financial professionals to start their journey of focus from ground zero for those that probably haven't really thought about it in a targeted fashion before? Yeah, absolutely. And I can give you some steps on how we do that. And we're going to talk a bit about the evening practice and how important that is. But the precursor to that is knowing what you want and what your role is and where you contribute it to the organization. So for example, there's a lot of advisors who I've had the pleasure of working with who have their own practice and they could have 8, 12, 15 people working for them. And they have lost sight of actually where they're contributing value. So they occupy many different hats, many different roles, many different stages of interacting with the client. And therefore, they've they're so in it that they've lost sight of actually what they're trying to build, what they're trying to create and where they actually contribute the most. So for example, there's many uh, advisors who I've spoken about when they're at, when they're the one running the practice, really it's about, 
they usually have somebody dealing with the operations. And for them, it's about, it's about nurturing relationships and doing business development. And oftentimes that actual activity gets pushed into the mid-afternoon. It gets pushed there because as soon as they wake up, they check their email, they're caught in the fire hose of information, they're on meetings straight away, they feel like they can create some sweet spot of some gap between like 1 and 3 p.m. But by the time that that time comes around, they're highly fatigued. They don't have the mental capacity to go actually and do proactive work. So they just allow more rushing tasks to come on board. And then that day goes without ever actually doing the outbound efforts or reaching out that they intended to. And then they come in and they berate themselves saying, tomorrow, I'm going to do all of it. I'm going to do more and I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to eat healthy and I'm not going to have five coffees and all of this stuff. But then what happens? The same thing happens again tomorrow because there is a neglect of looking at the patterns that created this. So from my observation, I'm taking it from the frameworks and the theories of the scientific understanding of these cognitive skills, but I'm also looking at it from a very pragmatic sense of how people live, because I've had the joy of working with people directly, thousands of people over the last three years. So I can see that there's a blending of the two. You can't just lean into the solely the pragmatic stuff. You have to give people the scientific framework, but you also can't just lean into the literature because it's not rooted in how people actually live. So that's why we begin by looking at the evening practice that the way that you wind down facilitates how you start the next day. So tomorrow's potential begins today. And a huge part of that actually, it, I'm, some of the things I'm going to say here are so simple, but they're just not implemented. And it's really very simple, but we can often be so blinded by the complexity of our life that we can't even see the simplistic patterns that aren't there anymore. So at the, for a start, We've ran internal surveys and 85% of the people who have gone through a program said what they wanted was more structure. And 57% of the people start their day in their inbox. So they have no sense of what I was actually meant to do today. They just begin by responding to the, the immediate demands that are in their inbox. So you can imagine that's, you know, that's essentially 60% of the group who are saying, I am entirely reactive. Then there's a large chunk of people who kind of plan, but they give up their plans because they say, it's not, it's not going to happen. I have too many things to do. And then there's a small chunk who stick to it. But the place to begin is planning tomorrow today so that at the end of your day, you can at least lay out what the main objectives are, what the main priorities are for tomorrow. And that helps on a number of different levels. It actually allows you to detach from today's work because there's often going to be outstanding things which need to be done, which we didn't get done. And if you don't have them written down somewhere, if you don't have it on a note here, it occupies space in your mind. It starts to float to the surface of your mind when you're in bed, when you're trying to sleep at night. And that's what pulls you away from actually getting that rest. So it's a very simple practice, but there must be clarity on the things which I didn't accomplish today and the things which I need to do tomorrow. And that can take 5, 10, 15 minutes, depending on how much detail you want to give to it. But just having simply something like this, where all of the major points that you need to do are laid out, not everything, but maybe five priorities and the things which are carrying over from today, then there has to be some sort of detachment. And that is much easier said than done. We recently ran a program with a team from Morgan Stanley and there was a lot of people who had a lot of anxiety once they even tried to step away from their phone. There was a deep attachment. Now, this is something very interesting to explore. And this is what, one thing that I point to, that you must explore this for yourself. For a lot of people, 
they are their phone is 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 like their emotional regulator so they this is where it's becoming a, a growing problem that i cannot regulate my own self because my own emotional state is so regulated by my phone i am so tethered to being in touch with incoming messages that if i'm just thinking about being away from it it induces stress so if that's happening, that means you got to go in that direction and you got to do that work because otherwise it weakens and destabilizes you. So one thing that we encourage is, can you try and detach from your phone for at least 15 days? Can you just try and create a practice or a process where for an hour before you go to bed, your phone is somewhere? It's in some obscure drawer in your kitchen, in your cabinet where you can't see it and it's there. And it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm not saying it won't be uncomfortable. I'm not going to beat around the bush saying it won't. But what do you do with, with that space? What do you do with it? Because this is the great challenge for people. They're constantly engaged that they never get the chance to focus. They never get the chance to really immerse themselves in something because they're just checking everything all of the time. So planning tomorrow today, trying to practice detaching from your phone. And then we have a three, two, one method, which is not always able to be followed, but if you can default to it, it helps a lot. And I understand as an advisor, you're out and you're having dinners, you're socializing. So sometimes it's difficult, but if this can be your baseline that you come back to, the three, two, one method is that three hours before bed, you stop eating. That means you stop having snacks, you stop drinking sodas, you just turn to water. That's it. And the reason why that's important is because from some of the research that we've done, you know, advisors wake up super early in the morning. They go after it. They have their cup of coffee. Maybe they have something to eat. But as soon as you have that cup of coffee, you're activating your digestive system. So your internal organs have to activate to start processing and breaking that down. And we found that it could be 16 or 17 hours is the distance between their first cup of coffee and the last thing that they eat at night. So that's the last glass of wine or the last handful of blueberries or the last piece of jerky. It doesn't really matter if it's healthy or unhealthy. It's such a long window of digestion that it doesn't allow your body to fully rest and digest in the internal organs there. So if they don't get the chance to fully rest, you'll wake up feeling lethargic. And that's where it kind of compounds day by day and you start to feel that fatigue. So cutting off your eating as often as you can three hours before bed. If you eat late, it might feel difficult, but you'll adjust to it. You once again, just become familiar and curious about what's happening inside. The two of the three, two, one method is to try and start reducing your screen exposure. So try, you know, it's, it's a default. How do we end up allowing Netflix to become our wind down practice? Because it's the easiest thing. You haven't searched for other alternatives. So start searching. It, it, our evening routines become habitual and they become things that hold us back. So start searching. If I create some sort of a restriction that I can't watch Netflix, now I have to go out and look for what else it's going to be. Because for most of us, we live our lives in, in communication with three screens, the medium sized screen, the small screen and the big screen. And we never get a chance to retreat from it. So we're trying to encourage, get some chance to retreat from it. And then one hour before bed becomes the wind down practice. Every child, in this country gets a wind down practice before they go to bed. They're hyped up, they're full of energy, they've been watching TV, they're gazing at the screen like that, you see them, and you need to start preparing them for bed. You get their pajamas, you give them a shower, you read them a bedtime story, you wind them down. If they can't, you pet them down. We have to find ways to do this for ourselves. What can become your wind down practice?
because if it's a gin and tonic and your Netflix show, that's fine. But if that's your nighttime practice, you're going to feel tired and you're going to have a lot of cognitive fatigue over a buildup of time. So we're just trying to get people to reflect on creating a slightly more healthy dynamic with themselves. And that's the basis of the 3 one method. So Patrick, I think it's interesting that you take both a mental and a physical approach to this nighttime routine. A question then about the mental side of it and detaching from your phone. There are tons and tons of very effective task management systems now that can put all of your tasks across all of your devices. Do you recommend or is there no difference? Like when you say detach from the screen time, I think, oh my gosh, I have to leave all those to-dos behind. Do, do you find just a good old-fashioned paper list and paper notes to be as effective? Or I guess my question is, if I'm checking out what I'm going to do tomorrow, but in the process of checking what I'm going to do tomorrow, I find an email, I find an interesting thing I can Google, I, I go down the rabbit trail of kind of trapped in my electronic device. Is there a recommended path you use for that wind down process? Do you favor the good old fashioned methods of pen and paper? So I have platforms, I have tools that I use where I, I manage my business and we have a lot of project management software. So I'm not saying I run my business off pen and paper. I definitely don't. Um, I use the technologies that are out there to run us efficiently. So for all of our partners that we know what's happening in our projects. So from a sense of like understanding the details of my work, everything is there in the software. But I always have a notebook with me because it, so at the end of the day, I kind of get the time to reflect on what are the major priorities, because despite a lot of these great uh, to do lists and planning tools, they're often very good for lists and details and structures and connected items. But just to see it just from a very plain perspective, what are the three major things that I need to do? tomorrow and how do they contribute to the length of this week i find it much more helpful to do that on a piece of paper and then i scrap that page and i move on to the next one the next day and the other side of that is something that you mentioned there john which is you know you end up in a treasure trove of things that you want to google and you want to look at i'm just going to take something from the lens of reading and just apply it into understanding this in business something that i came up with for myself with reading was a legend system so when I was reading, I found that if I found something interesting, and this was a hard copy book that I'm talking about, I would be pulled to Google something. And as soon as I picked up my phone to Google somebody or something, it was gone. I just lost the momentum that I had in reading because I switched my attention somewhere else. So I created a legend system that if there was something very interesting, I put three X's there. If there was something I had to Google, I put a G. If there was a quote that I found interesting, I put a Q. And then after reading a book, it would take me 15 minutes to go through everything because I just looked for the icons. Now, what helped that is because I was writing it down. So once again, if you have something like this on your side all the time, if something comes to mind, a thought, an idea, something to check out, you don't act on the impulse, you delay it by putting it on a piece of paper. Because what, we, what we're struggling with is that there's no friction. There's no friction that prevents us from getting things. Imagine if all the candies were on the table all the time. We'd, we'd, we'd just relent and give up. So what we need is a life with limits will allow you to be limitless. And you need to recognize what those limits are. And that's what we're trying to help people. It's not an imposition. It's a choice. It's so interesting. I'm such a fan of the lists. I have just them constantly. Um, that's how I, that's how I run my life and I love crossing them off. But, you know, I think for those listening that 
are so far outside, Patrick, of everything that you've talked about, but are, are interested in saying something's got to change, right? I'm sort of, yeah. I'm, I'm at a breaking point. I'm, I can't be all things to all people um, where I need to start. For those that you've worked with, about how long does it take to get to a place where this becomes kind of a natural part of the process? You know, what's kind of the painful, you know, what are the painful weeks? Is it weeks? Is it months? You know, just to be realistic, because I know change is hard. It's hard to break habits. Um, so just to kind of go to the realistic side of things, uh, maybe that's just the, the realist in me. Uh, I would be curious, just given, uh, because I know you've worked with so many financial professionals on this, will you share with us that kind of the implementation side? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so an interesting thing is it, on a generational perspective, it's often easier for older generations than younger generations. Uh, that's something that I've observed. So younger generations have a far harder time actually saying goodbye to their, uh, their, their, they fall asleep to their phone and they wake up to their phone. And I think, you know, my personal observation is that that's, you know, there's definitely a tie in with people struggling with mental health as a consequence of that, because they can't actually take care of themselves. They need, they need this constant engagement with something outside of themselves. And I see that with a lot of people of my age. So that's something to be considerate of. And for that, it's on you. You got to go and do the work yourself. Um, then for, for simple things, okay, really basic things, get an alarm clock, get an alarm clock and stop using your phone as an alarm. That's a simple step Buy a small, basic alarm clock, bring that with you. If you travel a lot, use that. And then your phone is not on your bedside locker. Turn off most of the notifications. Look at your phone judiciously. Get rid of the apps. If you have ESPN, if you have the sports, if you have the news, get rid of it. You don't need it right there in your hand. Definitely turn off the notifications. They are simply attacks on your attention. So those few things. And if you can, if you can, try and get to the stage where you don't look at your phone for the last 30 or 40 minutes in the evening and for the first 30 or 40 minutes in the morning. And you will be shocked at how your sense of yourself begins to change because suddenly space will emerge and you'll get a greater sense of what you actually want rather than fighting out of this place of survival. So create a little bit of space with those four practices and something will change. You'll notice something in yourself. I promise you that. So Patrick, let's say uh, I've been locked into my unhealthy bedtime nighttime routine for years now. And, you know, I go through you know, watching the news, checking the news, looking at the markets the next day, watching Netflix with my wife, um, all the way up till bedtime. Not to be as uncreative as anyone you've ever met, but can you give me some ideas of the other things that, that so people who have, you've consulted with, who have said, we want to make this change. Obviously, reading a book would be a good example, but do you have some other examples of things that might prime the pump here of me thinking about what other things I might do instead of that Netflix show or Monday Night Football, which, by the way, I'm going to watch because my Philadelphia Eagles are playing. But um, nonetheless, when I start tomorrow, what would you have me do? I would try and trade it for a podcast or an audiobook as somewhere to start with, um, as okay. something to begin with. So now it's something that's audio based rather than visual, and you're sitting there. And if you could, and you're listening to it, maybe you could even try stretching while you're listening to it. Could you try stretching and releasing the body a bit while you're in the bedroom floor or in the sitting room? Um, yep. Also, something that I recommend is yoga nidra, Y-O-G-A, 
N-I-D-R-A. It's a very wonderful practice. If you, go, if you Google it or YouTube it, there's 20-minute clips. You listen to that as you're going to bed. That will shift you into deep relaxation. It will start to release the tension from your body. It's just bringing awareness over your body. And if you and your partner start to get in the practice of listening to that for 20 minutes before bed, you will feel so much more rested than you will of dozing off to a Netflix show because you'll be more in your body. These are small things, but they make big changes. Thanks for that. And maybe we can put a link out there for people if, to share with Yoga Nidra, like as a suggestion for them on the podcast. For sure. Now, Patrick, since this is the human-centric investing podcast, if you're up for it, we would love to get to know the human-centric side of you. So we're going to ask you a few personal questions. And if you're willing to answer whatever is most top of mind, we'll hop to it with our lightning round of questions. Are you willing? Absolutely. I'm excited. Let's get into it. Okay, perfect. Well, let's go. I'm really interested in your answer to this one. Are you a morning person or a night owl? A morning person. <laughs> Are you messy or neat? I'd say neat most of the time, but things can get messy. But yeah, neat. <laughs> Would you prefer to live in a city or to live in the country? Oh, it's the lifelong dilemma, John. I mean, they both have their sides. It's a city for now. <laughs> city for now. Got it. Yeah. Do you prefer to shop online or go to the store? Go to the store. And now anathema to a lot of the things we've talked about. Would you rather binge a TV show or watch a movie? Uh, watch a movie. Watch a movie, I'd say, yeah. Would you rather travel to the past or to the future? Oh, God. Wow. God, that is a good question. <laughs> See, we're working your brain out. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I have no interest in either. I have no interest in either, actually. Yeah. Wow. I'm actually right there with you. Yeah. I'm very happy. Totally in this, agree. In this, in this All right. So here. given that answer, I'm going to take you to your past. What was your favorite board game as a kid? I wasn't a big board game person. Yeah. No? Actually, I've been never been any fun when the board games come out. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of right there with you on that. I am too. I am too. <laughs> Why wouldn't we be the life of a party? But yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was over in the corner working on spreadsheets, <laughs> <laughs> making to-do lists. <laughs> when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? There was phases. Um, a football player, then I realized that was never going to happen. An Irish dancer, that was never going to happen. For a moment, Michael Flatley caught my eye. Uh, I wanted to be a TV presenter for a very long time. I wanted to have my own show and interview people. Um, that was probably the long, longest standing thing that I wanted to be when I was when I was a kid. Yeah. My last question, Patrick. What's your favorite sports team? Arsenal. Through and through. There you three. go. Yeah. Are you spontaneous or a planner? A spontaneous. Spontaneous for sure. Thank you so much, Patrick, for sharing all of these ideas. And, and I agree. I think oftentimes it's some of those very minor adjustments, especially at the beginning 
that if implemented and executed consistently over the long term, really do make a big difference in our lives and in the lives of others. So thank you for sharing all of these great ideas with our listeners today. And, and for our listeners that are interested in learning more about Patrick and his work, please feel free to check out the Momentum Mind program. It's a community and training program for leaders who want to move from a fractured mind to a momentum mind, helping them focus amidst distractions and move twice as fast without wasting time and energy. So thank you again, Patrick, for joining us today. We can't uh, tell you how interesting and engaging this was. I know I'm inspired. I've been doing everything wrong every night. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll share that with you, except for the note-taking. So uh, one step in the right direction. So thank you again on behalf of all of us here at the Human Centric Investing Podcast. Thanks, Julie. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to the Hartford Funds Human Centric Investing Podcast. If you'd like to tune in for more episodes, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. And if you'd like to be a guest and share your best ideas for transforming client relationships, email us at guestbooking at hartfordfunds.com. We'd love to hear from you. Talk to you soon. The views and opinions expressed herein are those of the guest who is not affiliated with Hartford Funds.